0: Well, tonight we'll continue looking at the work of the Holy Spirit. And uh, last week we began this. And really, I want to start off tonight just just asking you, you know, what does God look like? If you had to if you had to tell someone, what does God look like? This is a question probably often posed to children to to find out what children would say about what God looks like. And some have come with descriptions and drawn pictures and Really, we we don't know. God is not a um, he he doesn't have a body like you and I. He is spirit. He's spirit. He exists in um, three persons. And we know that in Old Testament times that that God manifested himself oftentimes through um, theophanies and all this sort of thing, manifestations of himself through the glory that was his. And then the, the Gospels roll around and the Messiah finally comes on the scene. And for the first time ever, the people could really see, even though they didn't acknowledge, what God looked like. And that's what Hebrews 1, 1 through 3 talks about, is that in former days, he spoke to us by the prophets. But in these last times, he has sent his son and he's shown us what he is like, what God looks like in the person of Jesus. But you and I also know that we also live on this side of the ascension resurrection and the ascension and so Jesus no longer walks the planet we can't even definitively say this is what Jesus looked like I know we have renderings of it you know how many of you think Jesus had a beard you know I mean you you think that because you've seen artists renderings of that but we really don't know you know I mean I I think probably he did based on the the custom of the day but we really don't know I think we uh we speculate But in these last times, while Jesus has ascended back to the father, we talked last week about the fact that that God, the work of the Holy Spirit, is to manifest the active presence of God in our world today. That's the Holy Spirit's task. In other words, the Holy Spirit now is continuing to show us what God looks like. Last week, we, we looked at all those different ways in the Old Testament that, that the Holy Spirit moved and showed the people of the day what God looked like. And tonight I want to turn largely to the New Testament and I want us to walk through several passages. tonight. there will not be anything really um, there will be application tonight. But this is going to be very heady tonight. We've talked about this with our new heart, head, hands structure with Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. This is just going to be us walking through scripture together. And I want to show you how the Holy Spirit was active in the day of Jesus and beyond tonight. OK, and specifically the empowering work uh, that he that he brings um, He empowers, he purifies, he reveals and he unifies. And specifically tonight, his empowering in the New Testament. Turn, if you will, to to Luke chapter three. Luke, beyond probably more than any other gospel writer, shows us the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of Christ. Oftentimes we want to separate out and we want to say, well, the father did his thing here and the son did his thing here and the Holy Spirit did his thing here. But you're going to see tonight that that Jesus was empowered by the Holy Spirit. Let's walk through this together. Luke chapter three, uh, verse twenty two. If you back up a few verses, I won't read them, but this is the baptism of Jesus. It comes to John the Baptist, who is baptizing in the wilderness and uh, back in verse twenty one. Now, when all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying The heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, you are my beloved son with with you. I am well pleased. So we often kind of separate Jesus out. But Jesus here at the beginning of his earthly ministry, the beginning when he when he comes Public When he when he rolls out his life for all of Galilee to see and then ultimately all of us 2000 years later to see as written in in the Bible, he comes and he is validated. He's empowered for his ministry, for his earthly existence by the spirit. The spirit here descends on him like a dove. And it was visible. The people around uh, witnessed this. And The spirit descending on Jesus. It's kind of odd to think about that the son of God, being God himself, needed the spirit to descend on him. I don't think it was that he needed him to, but it was within the unity of the Trinity. And it was the father empowering the son through the Holy Spirit. Uh, then go forward in, in Luke chapter four, verse one. After this, after he is... Um, Anointed with the spirit descending on him immediately after this, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from from Jordan and was led by the spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. It's not just like, bam, Jesus comes on the scene and the spirit descends on him and then everything's hunky dory from then on. The spirit immediately leads him into the wilderness to be tempted. Now, part of the reason why the Spirit does this with Jesus is because this is what was prophesied about Him, that He would be tempted. But I think also it, it is key for us to realize that we oftentimes say things like, "God would never put you anywhere that was unsafe." Huh. On the contrary, sometimes God's will for your life is for you to be in very unsafe circumstances. Isn't that true? We in the church have have really gotten this all wrong. And we have thought God just wants me to be happy. And the world out there, um, now I've shared with you the the results of the survey that was done with with the 18 to 29 year olds that that uh, 18 to 29 year olds, their beliefs about God are, are moralistic, therapeutic deism, that God basically wants them to be good that he wants them to be happy and that he exists. And that's really all they Uh, For the law, I know I'm painting with a broad brush here, but by and large, that's what they believe. And they've gotten that from a lot of Christians who have said things like God, God loves you more than you love yourself, which is true. But then they go further and they say he would never put you in any kind of situation where you'd be in harm's way. Tell that to missionaries. Tell that to tell that to believers who are right now in countries that are where it's illegal for them to follow Christ. Tell that to Jim Elliott. Tell that to go way back. Tell that to John Hoos. I mean, this doesn't preach. The spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted The Bible there doesn't ever say that God is the author of temptation, that God is tempting him. Sometimes God will lead you in places where he's testing you and proving you and transforming your character so that his image can be more perfectly reflected in your life. The spirit will do that. I see that in the Spirit here in, in Jesus' life. He leads him into the wilderness to be tempted. We know that Jesus did not fall to that temptation. Go forward. Go down to verse 14. Luke chapter 4 verse 14. Jesus After his temptation in the wilderness, Jesus returned in the power of the spirit to Galilee and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country and he taught in their synagogues being glorified by all. He comes back now and it's not just that he is validated at his baptism and then led into the wilderness to be tempted, but now he comes back and he comes in the power of the spirit. This is this is Jesus I haven't been there in a while. I go to this passage a lot, but go to Colossians chapter one. Keep your finger in Luke, but go to go to Colossians chapter one. Colossians chapter one, verse 15 is all about the preeminence of Christ. Verse 15 is talking about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. You can go on. You We could go to other scriptures that point to just the preeminence, the glory. That belongs to Jesus. And then, but here in Luke chapter 4, verse 14, we see Jesus coming back and he's coming not in his own power. But he comes in the power of the Holy Spirit. Which is his in the Trinity, but he comes full of the Spirit. The Spirit empowers him for his mission and ministry. You ever been around someone who is... Doing a lot of good things for God, but it's, it just seems obvious that they're doing them in their own strength. You ever been around arrogant pastors? I hope you don't nod your head too abruptly. Like, I, you know, I hope I'm not coming across as arrogant pastors. I hope I'm coming across as I'm so dependent on the power of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes I watch these guys on TV and I think, they're not dependent. I don't think on the Holy Spirit. I I don't I can't judge them, but it just appears to me that they're so confident in their own speaking ability, in their charm, in their charisma, in the way they dress or whatever the case may be. And there's they're, they're just not coming in the power of the Holy Spirit at all. If Jesus comes in the power of the Holy Spirit, Don't you think that we also need to live our lives in the power of the Holy Spirit? Go on down, go further to verse 16. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He enrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. Now, this would have been. Pretty impressive in and of itself. You and I have Bibles today that have chapters and verse numbers. Some of us have Bibles that have little cut out tabs on the side or we've or we've pasted in little tabs so that we can easily find where the books of the Bible are and where the chapters and verses are. There's no chapters and verses in this scroll that's handed to Jesus. Jesus takes it and just he knows the word of God so well that he finds it. You imagine that? Imagine if there's no chapter numbers, no verse numbers in your Bible whatsoever. And I said, turn to Ezekiel 34, verse 17. What would you do? You'd probably say, hey, David, throw that up on the screen. Hey, Billy, throw that up on the screen. Put that up there. Wouldn't you? Jesus stands up and finds it. That was a tangent, but let me go on. Verse 18. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus here knows that he's not going forward in his own strength. Now, he has, he has all the strength that he would ever need in his deity. But he's not doing anything contrary, though, to the will of God. And the father, the son and the spirit are operating all together in this. And he goes forward knowing that if he's if he's going to accomplish his mission, he goes in the power of the spirit. Even Jesus here, we see this repeatedly to proclaim, to set the captives free. Keep going. Verse 36 of Luke, chapter four. And they were all amazed and said to one another, what is this word for with authority and power? He commands the unclean spirits and they come out and reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. All right, keep going. Verse 38. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever and they appealed to, to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now, when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of, of many crying, you are the son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. Now, Jesus had all the power he needed to do all these things, but he's doing it here. The Bible makes a point to show us that he's doing it in the power of the spirit. That The spirit is the one who is empowering him for this work. That that he's operating in the power of the spirit. We, we see this all throughout the life of Jesus, and I can go on in the life of Jesus. You, you look at his. Prayer in the garden. You look at the trial that he went through, the arrest and the trial, the mocking and the scourging. Look at the crucifixion um, all the way through. I mean, you you could look at the power of the spirit of God on him all throughout. And and I I think the point that I want you to see that I think scripture wants us to see is that sometimes we think this Christian life thing is, is pretty easy. We got this thing figured out. Now, that sounds arrogant. And probably a lot of you in here are saying, no, not hardly. And if you have that attitude, then that's a good attitude. No, not hardly. But sometimes we, we boil it down and we think all it is is getting up every morning and spending some time reading our Bibles and saying, saying our prayers to God. And we, we maybe say something about Jesus to our co-workers and, and we don't do the things that we're not supposed to do. And we come to church when we're supposed to come to church. And we kind of relegate this Christian life to those things. And, and following Christ is about so much more than that. Those are Those are just a list of the do's and don'ts. If we're going to have God as our most valuable thing in our life, most valuable person in our life, it will be at the empowering of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit also not not just in the life of Christ, but the Holy Holy Spirit also empowered those disciples. Jesus 12. Um, Go to Acts chapter one, verse eight. We'll leave the book of Luke, Acts chapter one. Jesus now has gone to the cross, he's been crucified, he's been placed into the tomb, raised from the dead. He's been with them for 40 days afterwards, and now he's, ascend- he's about to ascend back to the father. In Acts chapter one, verse eight. They ask the question, is this the time that, Lord, you're going to restore your kingdom? And he says to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons. The father has fixed those. But then in verse eight, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You realize that wasn't just for those. It wasn't just for the twelve. It wasn't just for the one hundred and twenty. It's carried through the ages. And while we may not live in the same region that they live in, we are still called to be his witnesses. You ever you ever tried to witness to someone and it just wasn't happening? And it was just cold and they weren't hearing any of it. Sometimes you can you can witness in the power of the Holy Spirit, and it's still that way. I mean, not everyone's going to come to know the Lord. But have you ever also had an, had an, um, had an experience where you have shared the gospel and it's been so obvious that the spirit of God had gone before you and opened the door and prepared every single step of the way. And all you did was simply share the truth of the gospel. And the person had this yearning to turn from their sins and trust Christ. How does it happen? It only happens through the power of the Holy Spirit. You will be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. I remember in, um, in Pikeville, Kentucky, sitting on the front porch of, uh, of this lady's house with a team that we had gone out on visitation. And we sat there with this woman, and she offered every excuse in the book. I mean, she just absolutely was, I mean... She said, well, what about this? And what about this in church history? What about the Crusaders and the killing of all of these innocent people? And and the church led that. And and she was just she had read enough to really. Not know the whole gospel, but to know all the reasons why she shouldn't believe the gospel. And I I tried to I tried to refute that and tried to answer those questions. And I I walked away from there that night and got back in the car and I thought, well, that. That was really discouraging. I mean, that was just miserable. I, I went back to the church that night and we all came back together. All these different teams came back and people were saying, well, we had a great visit over here. got to share the gospel here. And this person prayed to receive Christ and came our time. And I said, well, I don't even ever expect to see this woman again. You know, I said she was not interested in what we were saying at all. And The very next Sunday, she's in church. And, and the response time at the end of the service, this lady comes walking down the aisle and takes our pastor by the hand and says. Um, I didn't expect to be doing this, but I want to I want to receive Christ. I, I need to turn from my sin and trust him. What sometimes what we think is wasted speech and wasted opportunity, and wasted living the Holy Spirit takes our wasted effort and turns it into good and empowers it uh, for his own glory. You will be my witnesses. He did this with the with the disciples and he will also do it with us. Go forward in Acts. Acts chapter six. Acts chapter six, verses eight through ten. And Stephen, full of grace and power was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freed men, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians and of those from Cilicia and Asia rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking because he was obviously, as we read earlier, filled with the spirit. Here we see Stephen empowered by the Spirit of God not only for miracles and signs, but also this really untrained man who is a layman in the church, the, the the people of the day can't argue with him because he is speaking in the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the Stephen was the first man beyond the apostles to be mentioned as being able to do miracles and signs and fill with the Holy Spirit. And we also uh, need the spirits empowering if we are also going to speak with real authority. Uh, he gave power for preaching. Go backwards. I skipped this but I want to go back to it. Acts chapter four. Acts chapter four and verse five. Let me me bear with me. I want to read this long section because this is one of the great stories of Acts. Beginning in verse five of Acts chapter four. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them talking of Peter and John, when they were preaching and had been arrested, when they had set them in the midst, they inquired by what power. Or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the peoples and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? Let it be known to all of you that and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, By him, this man is standing before you. Well, this Jesus is is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, keep in mind, they're speaking here to the council that can have them put into prison. And they're preaching the gospel to them. And they're preaching in the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 13, now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. I mean, it's kind of hard to argue with that, kind of hard to argue with those kind of results. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, what shall we do with these men for that? A notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. Let's just tell them to shut up. Let's just tell them to quit speaking about Jesus. Don't be speaking in his name anymore. (laughs) But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened for the man on which on whom this, this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. When they were released. They went to the friend's house and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they had heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father, David, your servant, said to the, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and, the, and rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city, they prayed, there were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord. What's amazing about this is this group was this is the same group that just a little while before this, just a couple of months before this, all scattered like cockroaches. When you turn the lights on in the garden. They all fled. They all hid. They cowered. They were fearful. What made the difference? Why do they now stand in the face of government opposition and say, whether it's right for us to listen to you or to listen to God, you'll have to judge that. But we're going to keep speaking in this name. What changed? The spirit of God filled them. Spirit of God empowered them. The place where they were, where they prayed for boldness was shaken. don't, Don't just run over that it's so literally shaking. It wasn't just like they were all fired up. I believe there was an earthquake right there. And it was a it was a tangible sign from God to say you keep going. You're doing exactly what I'm empowering you to do. You keep going. And if it means they lock you up, you keep going. If it means they Tie you to the stake and set you afire. You keep going. Remember Paul? Those prison epistles that Paul wrote? Philippians and others. Philippians is all, it it, it mentions the word joy more than any other book in the Bible. And Paul writes that as he's chained to a Roman centurion. Chained to a Roman guard. And Paul didn't give up. Paul didn't quit. Paul, Paul was once a huge opponent of Christianity. He hunted them down like dogs. He held cloaks. He held the coats while they were stoned to death. He led the way. And now he's willing to go into prison and eventually to his very death. Why? Because the spirit of God has empowered him to do so. First Thessalonians, turn to First Thessalonians, chapter one, verses four and five. First Thessalonians one. Beginning in verse four, for we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power And in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. Here he he says. You want to know how we know that you're children of God? Because you receive the word of God with power. We came as uneducated men, we came as just simple men, not sharing anything with eloquence, but simply preaching to you the gospel, and you received it and believed it, and that's how we know. Sometimes people will say to me, if there is such a thing as election, how do I know if I'm one of the elect? You know you're one of the elect if you believe. It's that simple. If you believe. It is by the power of the Holy Spirit that you believe. That's what he's saying here is that we need the spirit of God to empower us for the work of the gospel. That just as the spirit of God empowered Christ to go all the way to the cross and into the tomb and out of the tomb and to the right hand of the father. And just as the Holy Spirit empowered those early disciples and and the men like Stephen. And all those who have preached the gospel ever since, he will also empower us to do exactly the same thing. And it's not just the preacher who's paid to do it. Who does the Bibles teach us that that the spirit comes to indwell? Well, it's just the professional clergy, right? No, the ground at the foot of the cross is completely level. And if you and I will come by faith to him, the Bible says that the spirit comes in and resides within us. It means that you can step out in faith and you can share the gospel with that person who works across from you. You can share the gospel with that person who lives across the street from you. You can share the gospel with that family member who you think will never come to know the Lord. Who's to say that the Spirit of God has not placed you right where you are to use you in their life? The Spirit of God comes to empower. Just a couple more and I'll I'll be through. The Holy Spirit also gives gifts for ministry. The Holy Spirit gives gifts for ministry. Turn to First Corinthians chapter 12. Let's look at verses four through 11 very quickly. First Corinthians chapter 12. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in every one to each is given the manifestation of the spirit for com- for the common good. For to one is given through the spirit, the utterance of wisdom and to another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit, to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by one by, by the one spirit, to another, the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another, the ability to, dis- to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues, to another, the interpretation of tongues. All of these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. Now, we don't have time to go into all of these gifts. Right now, I know some of you are saying, What about tongues? Speaking in tongues, is that is that still around? Does that still exist? Should we should we speak in tongues? And This or that. What about miracles and healing and all these sort of things? Does that still go on? Look, we we don't have time right now to go into it. I'll, I'll tell you this much. The Bible's silent on it. The Bible's silent on whether or not that still goes on. The Bible gives us specific examples as to when this happened and how many. Times, I mean, different, different occasions when people spoke in tongues and that we could spend our entire lesson or more on this. But I think for us to dogmatically, definitively become, come down and say that they have ceased would be saying something that the Bible doesn't say. I can also tell you from my own personal experience that I've I've never spoken in tongues. And so for me to seek after that is to say to to God, God, I don't believe you've given me all that you should give me. And God, I know better than you. So, God, give me this gift. And I think that's arrogance too, the other way. I think what we do instead is we go forward and we say that speaking in tongues is one gift. But there's a number of other gifts. And for those of us who are believers, the Bible teaches here that all of us have been given at least one gift of the spirit not to be hoarded and squandered or used on ourselves, but to be used for the building up of the body of Christ. And there's a whole lot of people who call themselves Christians who come in and they sit down and they don't do anything else when the spirit of God has empowered them to put to work a specific gift In the context of the local body, so that the local body can become what it needs to be in this community and beyond. We'll talk more about that later on. We're just out of time. Um, What does it mean for us? Uh, I ended with this last week as well. Well, what it means for us is I think we see here the, the importance of the Holy Spirit. We know, I think none of us would say and eh, the father, you know, the Trinity, I mean, it, it, Trinity would be OK with or without him. None of us would say that. The son, eh, Trinity could lose him, wouldn't wouldn't be a big deal. <laughs> None of us would say that. And while we would never say that about the Holy Spirit, sometimes our attitudes are exactly that. That we know the value of the father and we know the value of the son, but we have neglected the value of the Holy Spirit. And what we need to see is that all throughout history. Not just biblical history, but history. History is God's story. That the Holy Spirit. Has been empowering. Throughout all of it. And if we are going to go forward as a church or as individuals, we will begin to pray. God, would you empower us to do what you've called us to do? Would you lead us? Would you empower me to be the Christian that you want me to be, to witness, to preach, and all of those things that the Bible calls us to? I would challenge you to. Yearn for and pray this week. God, would you empower me for the work that you've called me to? Let's pray together. God, thank you for your spirit. God, thank you that. God, I just want to say thank you that there are things in the Bible that we don't understand. God, that there are some things that we haven't gotten figured out. God, I thank you that you are so grand That we can't put you in a box. But God, I pray that we would never use that as an excuse to stop trying to learn you. God, that we would seek you with all of our hearts. God, that we would want our minds to be filled with the knowledge of you. That we would be transformed on a daily basis by the renewing of our minds. As we dive into your word. We study there, God, that you would empower us for service every single day. God, use us however you want to use us. And God, help us to give you all the glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great night.